0: OK, we you know how this works. So thank you to... I'm going to pin this on you, Jonathan, in the main for selecting these, these talking points, so yeah. thank you. Um, fuel crisis, first of all. I, I suppose this is, you know, it's not just fuel, it's everything, rising costs, um, et cetera. It's, it's a concern for, for, for the economy. It's a concern for all parts of the country. It's a concern for racing.
1: Absolutely, and, and as we know, racing is a very delicate ecosystem. So when the pinch is put on one of its many factions that will have a knock-on effect for other people so you've got trainers now who are facing rising costs to send horses perhaps even have to make slightly harder decisions about where they send horses how many horses they send things like that there's going to be a knock-on effect isn't there they're going to logically have to rise their costs and who is it that's going to bear the brunt of that well owners are going to have to suffer a little bit of pain I'd imagine I would just hope that that the, the pain is shared in an even way so that the owners aren't having their costs hiked up too much and fronting the bill again because it's already not particularly cheap to own a racehorse particularly with uh, relatively paltry returns in prize money so yeah that would be my concern that the owners are the ones that are going to have to foot the majority of this bill and it, and it is a concern and those are conversations trainers are going to have to have because they won't want to raise their fees, they won't want to you know, put a put an extra strain on the people that are supporting them, but that that could be the direction of travel.
0: Haven't we been saying this for for a while? And and so far, we've 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 held up pretty well as a sport. Or are we only going to see the the knock on effect? You think of the last few years now.
2: Um, well, I I think the the you know the prize money thing is the key because horses aren't paying their way here. Even horses that win two or three times. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's really. Uh, if if you get the prize money sorted out, doesn't matter if the fuel costs a bit more, or um, well, the feed, because you're you know you're going to pay your way if you win a race or two. Uh, so you know that is the uh, ultimately. I mean, I I do slightly worry that um, uh, a lot of people are going to start looking to go abroad now, and that British racing's reputation. Can I finish? <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> you know, its reputation isn't going to be enough to sustain it at some, at some point. We're going to reach, you know, a, a, a place where that's going
0: to happen. We are, I think we are definitely seeing that at the moment. I have the, the last few years, particularly with the rise of racing in the Middle East, et cetera. We are definitely mm-hmm. seeing um, that at the moment. Um, right, uh, we move on. Um, Hoskins. This is not Bob. Sam Hoskins has stepped down as his position uh, to his position at the um, ROA, and he cut a pretty frustrated figure. I think he has largely over the, the last year or so. Um, what did you make of it?
1: Well, the uh, the ROA has a slightly tricky job because it's there to promote and support its members and do sort of things that help them out at a a personal individual level stuff at race courses entry this that and the other but it also has a very important seat at the table when it's sitting alongside the NTF the BHA and I suppose the frustration is or the sort of challenge that's being presented is are they doing enough to represent the needs of owners given everything we've just spoken about Um, and I think Hoskins is had a little bit of frustration in that he didn't feel as though perhaps enough was being done. And the most worrying thing from what he came out and said afterwards was he didn't feel that his, his desire to push syndicate and shared ownership was, he felt that was perhaps falling slightly on deaf ears, which, it, which is a big concern. Obviously the ROA do have initiatives, it's, we have to get that out there, they do have plans for shared ownership, for syndication. But this idea that perhaps they're not as receptive to it as they ought to be is worrying because that's one of the high growth areas that we're looking at.
0: Yeah, and it's something that Sam has obviously been a, a huge advocate of with Kennet Valley and and um, Hot to Trot as well. Um, he was also quite outspoken earlier on in the year about um, not just syndicates, but, but those wishing to set up syndicates who, who aren't as well regulated perhaps as they should be, um, given that, that some syndicate members have been been stung in the past. Is is enough being done to protect syndicate members? Well,
2: there's a new association for syndicate managers. I think I'm not quite sure what it's called. I mean, Sam Sam would have he has about 400 clients, so you know he's representing a lot of people. And I think he, you know, he he doesn't strike me as someone who who gets in a strop and does something like that without thinking about it. And uh, I can see. You know, he he clearly feels that not enough is being done by the ROA uh, for syndicates.
0: Talking of syndicates, um, put the Kettalons' owners, the the group of owners, are uh, putting her through the ring <laughs> at, at Aintree. I'm sure she'll um, fetch a pretty price as well. She's surely going to be very popular. Uh, they received some criticism from from some parts. Not sure how high up the, the criticism came from, but there there was some negativity towards their decision to do that. Well, why? Where's this? Can you see this as a negative in any way?
1: I don't quite understand the criticism myself. They've obviously had a very talented mare who's won some nice races for them, taken them to meetings that traditionally syndicates perhaps haven't had that same influence at, taking on the J.P. McManuses and gigging sounds of this world. So it's a great story. She's obviously not been able to replicate that this season, so they've had to make a decision. And I, I think it's quite right that they sell her and, and for a brute mare and... and use that fund to reinvest back into the syndicate and have their it just feels like a fitting ending to the story really that why wouldn't they make money off of her at the end of it? At the end of it all they haven't got the facilities to they'd love to have kept her and bred from her and this that and you know but not everyone can do that so it just I can't really see where the criticism came from myself
2: well she's worth over 300 grand i can hear the. I can hear the auctioneer now Starting off by saying this is a collector's <laughs> item, <Yeah. laughs> that old cliche. And you know she's eight; she's the perfect age to go off to stud. She's got a lot of speed. Only mare, I think, to have won the yeah the,
0: championship the chase, chase. Was yeah. she yeah, only yeah.
2: mare? And um, blimey, why wouldn't you? They could, they could go and buy if she if she makes over three hundred grand, they could go and buy three or four really smart point-to-point winners, and hope hope you know to to, to reinvest or whatever. breeding's quite, you know, breeding's a very specialized thing and I think you're either into it or you're not. Uh, no one criticized Giggins Town for selling Apple's Jade. No one criticized Rich Richie for selling Annie Power, which he did privately, or Benny de Deux. And and, um, you know, Magic of Light, second in the National was sold to go to Stud. I think no one criticized the exes of the Potts family. So, I mean, where why are they criticising it? I do not know. You know, perfect time to um, collect.
0: Yeah, and if anything, doing right by the mayor, t- the, 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 a proper operation. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Trainers Championship, the UK Trainers Championship. Willie, so we know what Willie's likely to send to, to Aintree now. And I think there was a lot of focus on um, whether or not, or, or the ammunition he was going to send there, uh, whether he was going to have a real crack at the at the UK Trainers title. Um, he's got a couple going there on the Thursday what, Is it captured your imagination the trainer's title
2: uh, well I think I think it uh, I think he's struggling he's going to struggle to be involved he doesn't look like he's that interested to me uh, otherwise I think he'd have been running things this weekend in Scotland mm-hmm. and I think uh, he's probably more, much more worried about Punchstown. Um if he won the national you know that's a that's puts him in the mix, but I still think he's got to win more than just the national. He's going to have four or five runners, Nicky Henderson uh Dan Skelton and uh Paul Nichols are all going to have one runner each i think uh it It would make a big difference to them because they're a bit further clear of willie uh but i think I think even if he won the national, he'd be struggling to be in in the mix really.
1: Similarly, I think it probably sent a chill down their spines when he said, "I'm looking at the British Championship after it was Britain and Ireland versus Willie Mullins at the festival." Mm. But like you say, he's not sending too many horses over to Aintree. He would have if he was really he would have gone to air because there was a lot of races there. You'd think would be sort of tailor made. I think Punch's Town is is top of his to do list. Of the others, it's it's going to be a really interesting end to the season because Nichols was quite publicly, didn't have too many runners at Cheltenham. Looking at Aintree with a lot of his top horses, Henderson's entries for the second day in particular, he's got all sorts of very good horses going. Skelton's not without a chance, so it would be great if it went down to the final day at Sandown, wouldn't it?
0: Mm. I love the idea of the Presby Cup at Cheltenham being a three-horse race next year. So just forget, forget UK and Ireland, a bit like the, making the Five Nations the Six Nations. Yeah. Um, right, race course admission. Um, so this is with regard to, well, well people going racing, um, whether or not it's a good value day out, what, can you, what you can expect when, when going racing. Um, what, what's your take on where we are currently, particularly post-COVID with crowds going back onto the race course?
1: Well, it's a difficult situation because, like everybody, the race course groups and independent race courses have, have had to sort of sit and suffer without... Uh, paying customers you can't really you can't underestimate and there we can put figures on it, you can't underestimate just how big a financial hit that was so you can understand if there is a degree of recouping of losses going on you can understand but at the same time there's a sweet spot here isn't there where you're ch- perhaps charging that little bit more and capitalizing on race who are desperate to come back without taking the mickey and charging for something that does not remotely tally with the experience you know we've seen you ver- one scroll through twitter and you'll see various sort of i've paid some silly amount to get to a midweek meeting and the, there's only so many runners that's the situation you have to avoid it has to it has to at least tally with the experience mm.
0: is it a good is it a good value day out going racing
2: I'm always in the press room. <laughs> I you know, I don't,
0: that, I, is, that, I don't that know. Point, I mean,
2: yeah. yeah, I think it is probably it's, it's 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 it lasts longer than a football match, um, and you can you can have a drink, and I mean, you know, you can drink, you can have too much drink as well, which is obviously can become a problem. Um, Racecourses are in that sort of a bit like bookmakers who want you to bet, but. You know say they don't want you to bet too much because you don't you know this is coming up in the gambling review obviously uh they don't want people losing too much money but uh you know racecourses want you to go and they want you to have a drink uh you know to help help the you know the cash flow
0: mm. um that's good timing for the bell bob baffert we move on to and so this was on um friday the kentucky horse racing commission Uh, said that they refused to grant him a a stay of 90 days for his uh, appeal against not being able to run horses there for two years at Churchill Downs. The ban is set to start now. Tomorrow, we're finally getting there, having, I think, the ruling been um, made on June the 2nd last year. We are approaching the end to the road to the Kentucky Derby and finding out what horses are going to run. I think four main horses he's sent to different trainers. I suppose the the one thing for me, Jonathan, is... (laughs) June the 2nd to now, why, why, why are we still taking so long? And uh, According to Baffert's camp, it's still not a done deal. Why, why haven't we got closure on this?
1: Well, I, I think given the nature of the case, it's incredibly high profile. We're talking about one of the leading trainers in the US who obviously had a big winner in Dubai as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a high-profile figure, potentially missing out on the high-profile race. It has to be handled fairly carefully, and there's clearly a great deal of evidence to pour over I think he's obviously made the decision to send some of those top horses. So from an, a sort of equine talent perspective, we're still going to have them in the Kentucky mm. Derby, but it might be a Kentucky Derby without Bob Baffert, which, from a PR perspective for the sport, is is absolutely dreadful.
0: You, so it's a well, it, well it, it it's. It, it, do you think it's a good thing that there'll be no uh, Bob Baffert on the race card at the Kentucky Derby this year, given what's transpired, or a bad thing?
1: Well, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because he obviously rejects all the allegations, is, is fighting mm-hmm. it, appealing it, so it's difficult to say whether it's a good or bad thing until we have the gift of hindsight and we can say he was in the wrong or he wasn't in the wrong. Um, it's one of those where they'll be... Run- it's, it's, his name won't be on the race car, but we, we know where the horses have come mm-hmm. from, so it's a little bit of a, a sort of novelty thing, really.
0: And it sticks. I think what I, you know, what I found frustrating about um, the... Um, Country Grammar winning Dubai, in the Dubai World Cup was, you know, there was there were still um, comments made. I feel like too much reference is made to the comments I read on social media, but hey, that's quite often how I get my news now. And you know, oh, as expected, Bob Baffett wins the Dubai World mm. Cup, and you know, this is a it, you could see it as a as a tremendous training performance, which in essence it was, but these things stick so there we are we move on Uh, gambling review the so we're not too far away from the the white paper the I think the frightening white paper from from, as far as the the sport is concerned Who wants to lead off Jonathan wants to lead off (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so how how worried should horse racing be
1: Well, firstly, we've we've been told, it was said in the Commons this week, that it's very imminent, which is difficult to read from a government perspective. That could be two weeks or two years, no one really knows. But it is about to happen, it's about to be released. How worrying is it? Well, I think Neil Channing put it nicely when he said it is an existential crisis for the sport at its worst, in its worst iteration. I think everybody in racing that has an interest, and bookmakers especially have an interest in a well-regulated, modern Gambling Act that fits the sort of situation that customers are facing—that's fit for the online world that covers casino, sportsbook, and everything else. I think my chief concern is we don't want to see an act that comes in that doesn't create that very key demarcation between casino-style games, FOBTs, betting, online slot machines, and sportsbook, which is generally a less harmful, generally speaking, a less harmful, though it can still be a less harmful. Uh, sort of pastime so for racing's point of view it needs it needs that that needs to be differentiated because the knock-on should it be lumped in with casino games should there be affordability checks and strict limits would be huge because it's it's less money bet on racing it's less money for the levy and we're about to prize money in the top talking point you know it's it, it could have huge
0: ramifications in its in its worst form. Um, uh, uh, just very briefly I was listening to um, the Nick Luck Daily um, podcast he also has a podcast and um, nice he was uh, they were talking about um, Jim McGrath was talking about Hong Kong and how well punters are looked after in Hong Kong and how that rewards the prize money in the sport because punters are so willing to, to bet over there and in, in, you know enjoy that pastime and that then feeds into the sport we just feel in a very different place to that at the moment don't we
2: I think we do yeah I mean I, it, it well, no one really knows what's going to come out in this, and and you know things have been said in Parliament, and, uh, which would be quite frightening for racing. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I, it's quite a big business racing for the from the government's point of view, and I can't see that they're going to, um, you know, take it down with something that that's going to. I mean, maybe I'm just an optimist, but hopefully there are enough people in there who understand that you know what a huge industry it is for the country
0: we will leave it there that is talking points done